Hello and welcome to One Great History. I'm Alex. And I'm Sabrina. And we're here uh, with a festive episode. We're doing um, a Hanukkah episode this year. Yay! Changed things yeah. up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, which has been neat. And so uh, since neither of us are Jewish, we did a little interview um, with um, Belle from the Jewish Heritage Center. Yeah, it was uh, really fun. Uh, we'll put that on right now. We're here with Belle Jarneski. Um, Belle, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and who you are and um, what the Jewish Heritage Center does? Sure. I am the executive director of the Jewish Heritage Center. The Jewish Heritage Center brings together a number of different entities, but that includes um, a, a museum about local Jewish history, Western Canada, a Holocaust museum that we're currently renovating, and a vast archive. Uh, we collect, uh, we've have, for instance, well over 70,000 photos in our collection. We have newspapers in Yiddish going back to the very beginning of the 20th century, and just all kinds of wonderful artifacts. And lots yeah, of menorahs. Lots of menorahs. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking Hanukkah today, but I guess we can talk a little bit about, um, you know, just your archive and everything as well, too. Um, it's a great archive, Sabrina, and I just discovered the other day that some of it is digitized, which yes. we love. <laughs> Very I mean, helpful for us when the weather is bad outside. <laughs> yeah, when you don't necessarily want to try and get on a bus to get down somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're doing today an episode about um, Hanukkah in Winnipeg. So maybe let's start just kind of broadly. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the significance of, of Hanukkah to the Jewish community? Sure. Well, Hanukkah itself um, it commemorates uh, a victory of the Maccabees over the Seleucid Greeks, which took place between 160 and 167 before the Common Era. And it was really um, a war for religious freedom, the Seleucid that wanted to impose their uh, Hellenic beliefs on everyone in the region and to take away um, the, uh, you know, religious freedom from the people. And the Maccabees were uh, a group of fighters. They were, um, they believed in self-determination, uh, bringing back self-determination really in the region for of the Jews. And so there was, um, uh, you know, this, this uh, war that took place and and eventually the the Maccabees won which in itself was miraculous and then it gets a little interesting there is um a story that uh we know that the Greeks did uh go into the temple that was still around at the time in Jerusalem and um you know brought unkosher animals into the the temple etc put in a statue of, of Zeus I think it was and um when the Mac after the Maccabees won, the story is that uh, they wanted to light the menorah that was in the temple, and it had to be lit with pure olive oil. But there wasn't enough olive oil; there was just this little jug, and uh, that it lasted for um, the miracle was that it lasted for eight days and eight nights. There are many people who would uh, suggest that this is perhaps a myth, um, you know, that has evolved over time, um, which doesn't really make it any uh, less wonderful or important. Sure, yeah. Hanukkah, Hanukkah was really um, a, a minor holiday. It wasn't at all a religious holiday in the same way that uh, Yom Kippur is, Rosh Hashanah, etc. And um, really, it became more popular 
as uh, Jews uh, became part of this more secular society um, with a you know Christian dominance and celebration of, of Christmas. And what I heard recently is that certainly in Canada, it wasn't that long ago that all of the traditions around Hanukkah really changed. Um, we became influenced by this uh, secular commercial culture around Christmas and gift giving. We certainly left, we felt left out, you know, kids, us, all their friends celebrating Christmas and getting all these gifts. And so it went from, you know, in my childhood, for instance, um, you would get uh, chocolate coins, Hanukkah gelt. You might get some real money. Uh, we would play with the dreidel, you know, play dreidel games, and you would guess on what letter it landed. In, and depending on which letter it landed, you got a certain amount of either, um, you know, uh, real coins, pennies, uh, which is what I remember, um, or chocolate coins. And and that was it. And you lit the candles every every night. You start with one, and there's one candle that is sort of um, that you light the other candles with. And each night you add a candle, and the holiday lasts eight days. Uh, the foods are the same. We eat potato latkes, uh, which is really the Eastern European tradition. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's really anything fried in oil to commemorate that that the miracle of the oil. So lots of fried food. Um, well, that sounds like the basis for some great meals, for sure. Abs absolutely. <laughs> and gel jelly donuts have now become a part of it, cool. too. That was really the tradition in um, North African countries. Uh, that is not necessarily with jelly, but but fried sort of uh, mm -hmm. you know, sweet dough, uh, like fritter kind of things. And um, then when they brought that to Israel, it kind of got even more exciting. And today when you on Hanukkah in Israel, you know, you'll go in and you'll think it's like some of the donut shops here where there's all these extravagant different fillings inside. Um, and all of a sudden, um, you know, we started giving kids gifts. Um, so now uh, Jewish children get gifts on Hanukkah too. And some parents even give one gift each day, you know, maybe a small oh, wow. gift. Um, so there's really been, um, you know, a connection to the larger, uh, I wouldn't really call it a Christian culture. I would really call it more a secular culture because sure. I have many friends who um, are not, who are not Christian and who are not Jewish, of course, and who celebrate, uh, you know, hin Hindus and Sikhs who also participate in this Christmas um, celebration. So that's that's kind of where it came from. Um, now, we light, we tend to light the menorahs here with candles, but mm -hmm. they're um, in the uh, North African countries, it was a different, very different looking menorah and olive oil was actually used with little wicks. And apparently that's coming back into style in, in some places. And so they're creating menorahs where you can put these little inserts in that you fill with olive oil and these and these little wicks. And so families um, light the menorah together. And whereas um, women light the Sabbath candles on Friday night in families where there is um, uh, a male uh, figure, it would normally be the father that would light the cat. Hanukkah candles. But I would say today that it it's really, you know, either one um, mm -hmm. seems, to, seems to work. 
and um, there are blessings over the candles. Um, the you know the main bless the, for lighting the candles, and then there's a blessing uh, that a great miracle um, happened so long ago, and we commemorate that. And families get together and sing songs and um, about Hanukkah and, and and eat because every Jewish holiday is about food. <laughs> That's that's really interesting. I had I had read that um, you know Hanukkah isn't necessarily as significant in in places that aren't as influenced by sort of you know Christmas and like you say the sort of secular North American culture has it become more of sort of like um, a community and family holiday in that way than than a sort of strictly religious holiday. Does that yes. make sense? Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's uh, public menorah lightings, there's a, there's a menorah even at City Hall, um, yeah. there's a menorah outside the Asper campus, and people will gather to light that together, um, and there's usually one inside the, the campus that, that stays lit, and um, yeah, it really has, but, but even in, I mean, even in Israel, where obviously, you know, it's a majority Jewish country, mm-hmm. Hanukkah has become very popular too. Um, and you know, today we live in a in a global world, um, sure. yeah. and so uh, there as well, it's become a very popular holiday um, that is widely celebrated and uh, very much in the same way that it is here. Except, yeah. with, except I, I with guess everyone flavor. likes everyone likes presents and food, right? So uh, <laughs> yes. especially in December. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Except more, just more flavors of the donuts. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Um, yeah, maybe let's talk a little bit. Are there specific ways that Winnipeg um, celebrates Hanukkah either today or or in the past, if you know? Well, um, there's often been um, community events, community programs for kids, for instance. So on mm-hmm. Sunday, there's a big um, a community event for young kids uh, and their parents at the Asper campus that is being organized by several organizations together. So it's kind of, uh, you know, bringing the community together and of course the candle lighting as well. Um, So uh, yes, and then I was delighted to hear that, um, to be invited to the candle lighting at City uh, Hall as well. So uh, I'm sure there'll be many people from my community that will be there. Yeah, I'm curious. Do you know, it's okay if you don't, but I'm curious, do you know anything about the history of the menorah that's at City Hall? I, I, I was wondering if it's, I'll, I've been trying to look into it. I haven't found too much. I'll have to, I'll have to look some more yeah. and see, see what I find. I, I didn't even, I, I didn't even realize there was one until, you know, or I mean, it may be it's in City Council. So it may be just uh, that they've brought in a menorah to light together. So mm. I don't know that there's an actual permanent one there. I, not aware of that anyway yeah <laughs> sorry my cat really wants to be a part of this podcast recording <laughs> that's adorable um yeah did you want to um were there any kind of hanukkah related objects that you have in the collection of the center that you wanted to highlight we have a lot of menorahs um yeah you know people uh we're, we're be we have to be a lot more uh, picky now and what we accept because uh, archival space is is really at a premium. Oh, sure. That's the, um, the struggle of every yeah. museum and archive Absolutely. collection, I think. Absolutely. And of course, you know, people will, very kindly will bring in something and say, oh, I know you just want to have this menorah. So we actually <laughs> lent a couple of menorahs out um, uh, a while back 
this this Hallmark film that was uh, being made in Winnipeg called Hanukkah Rye. Right. And, yeah. Um, so we lent them a few menorahs. So I'll be I'll be looking for them and and hope that they're in the credits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have a lot of of those kind of things. Uh, I and I don't dreidels not so much. I don't think, but certainly a lot of menorahs. And some of them, well, actually, there is one very interesting menorah that is very close to my heart. Um, so my parents were Holocaust survivors. And after the war, when my father was waiting to get permission to uh, immigrate anywhere that would take him, he worked for a company that bought objects made out of silver from Germans um, to be melted down into um, to make knives and forks, cutlery. And um, he came across he came across um, some Judaica from time to time that had clearly been looted from from Jews wow. who were alive, and he came across this menorah, and it is um, it's been in our Holocaust Museum for since two thousand nine, and it will be in the renovated museum as well. And it is I had it um, appraised. It's it's more than two hundred years old. Oh so, wow, that's incredible. So this thing, you know, who knows where it, where, you know, what the origins were, but um, it's very special. Yeah, definitely to have um, been able to sort of, sort of um, repatriate it in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, really neat. Yeah, um, well, thank you so much, Belle. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to, wanted to share with us? I don't think so. Just, um, you know, like, like many holidays at this time, um, it's it's such a, especially uh, where we live, where there uh, most of the hours are are in darkness. Um, that you know, this holiday really brings light into our lives. We mm. um, the tradition is to put the menorah on the windowsill, um, and that's really dependent on what you know what's safe fire wise but <laughs> but you want people to be <laughs> you want people to be able to see it and um it's it's so nice it's so lovely to be able to share um our traditions with with other people you know such as in this podcast um i think that i noticed uh, when i was out shopping that some of the stores had objects uh related to the holiday um and this wasn't something that existed when I was a kid. Oh. And, you know, I remember, and I heard someone walk by and say, Oh no, 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 those are, that's, those are Hanukkah items. And I thought, okay, well, it's amazing that she even knows it, you know, this is, this right. is really good because I, I did live a long time ago. I lived in uh, France for a few years and nobody knew what Hanukkah was. It was, you know, Oh, that's and, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, as as much as our multicultural landscape may not be as wonderful as it was in some respects, um, in other respects, I think people are getting to know more about their neighbors and, and that's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for helping us to do that today, um, to learn more about our neighbors. And, uh... and this is my menorah. Oh, oh that's beautiful. Thank oh, that's you. lovely. It's got here. I'll kind of describe it since it's a, an audio medium. Yeah, so, uh, it's so it's it's, it's uh, based on the. They're sorry, go ahead. They're based oh, on your pomegranates. Yeah. Oh, that's so neat. So it's got sort of vines going up with leaves and then little pomegranates at the top, which yeah. actually hold the candles. Yeah. Yeah. And pomegranates are, you know, you know, there's um, 
the tradition is that the uh, pomegranate, of course, is filled with the, you know, many, many, many arrows. And that um, the tradition is that it represents the 613 commandments or mitzvot. Um, and uh, so you find the pomegranate also in the Song of Songs in the Bible. And um, it's a very popular uh, design in Judaica. Oh, cool. That's really neat. I know okay, we're not cool. like on camera, but wouldn't it be funny to come back and like, ha, 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 what a good time. Yeah. Boy, remember when we when we did that? <laughs> like three days ago? Yeah. But <laughs> so, weirdly, this like Hanukkah talk reminded me of a school Christmas concert or holiday concert, I guess I did. It like yeah. I don't know, third grade, because there was a Hanukkah song. Oh, was there? concert. And all I remember is it went dreidel, 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 we made it out of clay. We used to we used to do that song. We had like a big recital. And I don't know if we had any Jewish kids in our class. Okay, interesting. But we did do it. Yeah. I was um in the chorus because I was too shy to ever take a lead role. Really? I'm not a great singer, and I was a very shy kid. Okay, interesting. Which is hard to believe looking at me now. I took, in one of our Christmas concerts, I took the part of the, like, town crier, which was really fun. <laughs> I got to be, like... Like, kind of like the MC, I got to, like, come up yeah. on stage with a bell yelling. See, I did that in high school, where you yeah. the Hunchback of Notre Dame for one of our, like, annual plays. Yeah. That's fun. We veered away from the actual topic of the episode now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so I guess, um, do you want to do uh, your stuff for first or mine? Ah, I can start. Sure. So I figured we would look into sort of the history of Hanukkah in Winnipeg a little bit. Which has been one of those interesting deep dives into something there's not a lot of sources for. Hold on, I have to just kind of blow my nose. Sure. All right. I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> let's just let's just edit in like a loud like honk noise right there. <laughs> just for Nick, and then Nick can cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> we have to go through him next. Okay, so we looked a bit into the history of Hanukkah in Winnipeg, which was kind of fun. It was a deep dive. There weren't a whole lot of like available sources online, at least. Yeah. Um, whenever we try to do an episode that's like anything outside of kind of like Anglo-Saxon settler communities in, in Winnipeg, it makes me realize kind of what a poor job we've actually done of keeping records in some of these areas. So... We don't know, like, we can take a guess as to when Hanukkah was first celebrated in Winnipeg, which is probably around 1877. Mm -hmm. It's because that's when the Koblenz brothers, um, Edmund uh, Adolf and Ackel, Atchel, uh, moved to Winnipeg. They ran a store. They came with their families. Um, a synagogue is founded in 1880, and then there's more waves of immigrants coming to Winnipeg across that decade. Mostly Russian Jewish immigrants fleeing mm -hmm. from persecution there. So the community grows pretty rapidly. There's about 640 Jewish people in Winnipeg by like 1900. Okay. So there's a couple separate synagogues. Obviously, they're celebrating all of the major holidays, not just Hanukkah, but we can yeah. assume Hanukkah was settled or was celebrated around then. Um, we don't know too much more because it doesn't make the like mainstream papers too, too terribly much outside mm -hmm. of like 
here's this thing Jews do. Right? That's the gist right. of what you found too, is the papers trying to explain the concept of the holiday like annually. A lot of it, yes, a lot of it was like annual explanations of what Hanukkah is. Yeah. So what I also found out though is that um for a period in the early 1900s, they were celebrating Hanukkah sometimes in a synagogue or out of like Maccabee Hall, which was at the corner of King and Henry Streets downtown. Um, they also had like socials and fundraising dinners and all of that. Okay, cool. A pretty like regular, like you hang out, you eat food. Yeah. Sometimes there's choir concerts. Um, in the Jewish Post, though, the magazine that we, or the newspaper that we both used as like a source yeah. for this. Did you notice that they had like Hanukkah week movies? Yeah, I did. That like some of the theaters advertised like playing this week during Hanukkah. Which is funny because the movies had nothing to do with the holidays. I guess it's like a Christmas opening for a movie too. Yeah, yeah. But it was just something, a fun thing to go and do. Yeah. Um, the one that caught my eye though was one called Wild Horse Mesa. And it had its own section outside of the ad that reads, Someday I'm going to make a jump and come out whole. That is the announced <laughs> ambition of Jack Holt, who was the featured player in Zane Gray's Wild Horse Mesa, which recently which was recently produced for Paramount by George B. Seitz. For one of the dramatic episodes in the production, the popular actor jumped off his horse, jumped his horse off a 50-foot cliff. Wow. The horse was not hurt, but Holt was laid up for three days. Oh dear. Picture at the Starlin during Hanukkah week. <laughs> So, yeah, not, like, super Hanukkah-related, but, like, it's Hanukkah. Go see a man jump on a cliff. I just like the deck. Someday I will jump off a cliff and come out whole. (laughs) Or just stop jumping off cliffs. You got options here that aren't jump (laughs) off whole or not. Yeah. And then there's also um, advertisements for, like, Hanukkah gifts. Yeah, we had had been talking about this a little bit. Um, the other thing I had found is that um, in 1942, Winnipeg's uh, Jewish women had combined to do like war work. So they had this Hanukkah fundraising oh, yeah. team that raised $630 for the war effort. Cool. And then uh, I tried to look into the menorah at City Hall. Which How did that go? Well, you know, <laughs> um, the first time it was there was in 1988. And it's just a huge menorah that was lit for the first time that year. And then we've kind of had it ever since. And Okay. Yeah, that's so funny. Because I, so I've been talking about this with you over the last like week or so, that I was convinced that I have read an article about how the menorah ended up there and like, that that I can't find that article. And now I've, I'm not sure that it ever existed. <laughs> it has been eluding us ever since, unfortunately. So if anyone, if anyone knows anything more about that history, I'd be interested to hear. Yes, please let us know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the ads were one of the weird things to me because I was trying to like cross-reference the advertisements for Hanukkah gifts with the companies to see what they were posting in like the Winnipeg Tribune mm-hmm. to see if they were basically the same ads and yeah. yeah they're basically a Christmas ad where they just kind of replace Christmas and put in Hanukkah uh, yeah <laughs> that's the sense that I got too there was one where they forgot one of one time and they said it's a great Christmas gift and then said for Hanukkah <laughs> um i saw one that had an advertisement for hanukkah gifts but then had santa claus on it i was gonna send you that one was it the jewelry's ad i can't remember what it was there may even have been more than one but (laughs) yeah there's a little santa in the corner they're like you couldn't have uh, no put a little piece of paper over that when you 
Copy a menorah that. or something like anything yeah. other than no that's really funny what did you but, manage yeah. to dig up um okay so I thought um last year I did kind of a little like tour through um New Year's parties so I thought I'd give us a little tour through some Hanukkah parties mm -hmm. so I've found various um occasions so the typical party was um and still is I think like a lighting of candles music sometimes there's like either like theater or a lecture, like humorous mm -hmm. readings, and then present exchanges, especially for kids. So that stuff is all pretty consistent. Um, but um, I do notice over time also like um, a lot more like joint Christmas slash Hanukkah things as well. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, definitely. So like unions throwing like joint Christmas Hanukkah parties. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd try and find some of the parties where um, you know, more like unique, different things happened. Mm -hmm. okay, give me two seconds because I'm going to throw. Okay. If you want to come up, that's fine. You just have to be quiet about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I thought I'd try and find some of the parties where um, some more unique things happened. You know, they got a little bit creative with their parties. So I'll start us out in 1930. Um, there's a Hanukkah party with various recitations and plays, but my favorite is what they call a playlet which already I think is really cute. Is it just like a little like one act play, essentially? No, so it's like a series of tableaus. Oh. Um, and these ones are done with kids. They're called Pictures of the Past. So I think it's a series of like historical tableaus. So I took a theater class where I was in like middle school and we did like tableaus like that. Did you, did you do yeah. tableaus? That's so funny. Um, my favorite one that it describes though is Nine dainty little girls ranging in age from five to nine years old who acted the parts of Hanukkah candles. Oh. So I thought that sounds so cute. Um, in 1939, um, a Hanukkah party is thrown by the B'nai B'rith Lodge, which is held at the Royal Alexandra Hotel. And I think they did this like a few years in a row at the Royal Alexandra. And it sounds pretty fancy. Um, mm -hmm. In 1940, to the same party, more than 500 people showed up. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so Salem Miller, author of From the Jewish Front, kept his audience laughing with humorous dialogues. And there was also musical entertainment provided by Goldie Bell, Dr. Sam Goodman and Gordon Kushner. Um, in 1943, I found this pretty significant, obviously, because of the year. Right. right there yeah. is a mammoth Hanukkah festival thrown by the Winnipeg Hadassah Council. So this is like a women's Jewish group. Mm -hmm. Um. So they said that um, in the Jewish Post that the festival would reflect, you know, wartime conditions and the economy, but that they were hoping that it would be successful. And I think they were also as part of it sort of raising money for um, for war bonds and the like. Mm -hmm. um, again, there's tableaus. I, these oh. must have been like these must have been popular in like the early 20th century or something. They do seem like a party game that would be like easy to put on. Yeah. So this one, um, they called them the family album. So they said it was tableaus representing characters from the arrival of the family at the turn of the 19th century through the ages up to the present war day. Hmm. Yeah, so a bunch of just like tableaus with like different people, I guess, depicting a, a family through the ages. That's cute. Yeah. Um, there was also a baby and children's picture contest. Oh, um, I love I, the baby I, contest. I know <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't find the winners of it, which oh. I really wanted to. <laughs> Why was everyone so fascinated with like judging babies? 
across I don't know, just the, like this is the best baby. Century. This is an only okay baby. <laughs> um, yeah, there were also trivia prizes and like like a bazaar essentially, like a bunch of booths selling so everything from like hand towels to uh, pinafores to teacup readings. Oh, yeah, which is fun. Um, one thing that I noticed over the years is that a lot of these parties were thrown not just for the general community, but also for like groups in need or even just like to kind of uplift people's spirits. So mm -hmm. there were ones for disabled adults, for the Jewish old folks home, for sick children and so on. Um, like to raise money for or like hosting guests from? Like, like actually throwing a party for them. But then okay. also, like, also, like, raising money sometimes, I think. But, yeah, like, in 1940, they threw a party for the children of the Jewish orphanage. Oh. And so, like, the YMHA put that together. So that's the same, like, same as the YMCA, but Hebrew instead of Christian, essentially. Yeah. But, like, a similar organization. Um, And, yeah, again, in 1951, there's a Hanukkah party for new Canadians. So there's this... Um, new Canadian school essentially in Winnipeg at which like adults who are coming mostly from Eastern Europe um can learn English and kind oh. of various skills yeah um and so yeah a party's thrown for them at which the one of the pupils gets up and gives a speech in apparently excellent English thanking her volunteer teachers so oh. all very um, in 1945, Hillel House, uh, which is an organization for Jewish students, I think it is still around, holds a Gala Latke Fry and Hanukkah Carnival featuring carnival games and dancing. Hmm. And also in 1949, so you got a couple of choices here this year, um, the YMHA plans a full week of holiday festivities. A whole week. Yeah, so you can have um, so you can have something to do basically any night of Hanukkah. I guess the eight days of Hanukkah, yeah. Yes, yeah. So um, starting on the 24th, the first day is dancing with the five-piece orchestra. Um, the second day is a one-act play and a lecture. Meh. <laughs> okay. They get no play lets this year? Well, I, I, I don't know. Is a one-act play a playlet? <laughs> I would say yes, but then like a tableau doesn't factor into it anymore. As we move that's past true. That's even, a tableau is even tinier. Um, the third day, there's a film uh, screening of My Sister Eileen, which I, I haven't seen or heard of. No. Um, the fourth day, there is a winter bathing beauty contest. Okay. Um, at which the previous year's king and queen, uh, Rhoda Coven and Harvey Kornberg, are there to crown the winners. Okay. Unfortunately, the Jewish Post doesn't have a ton of photographs, which is really too bad. I guess, you know, photographs were costlier back in the day. Yeah. But there are so many of these events where I just like, I wish so much that we had photos. Like, I want to see who the winter bathing beauty contest contest winner was. I'm assuming it's just like a bathing suit contest. Yeah. Just held when it's cold. Held when it's cold. Yeah. And for the Jewish community. Um, there is a fun fair the next day at which numerous clubs each create a booth. So these include games, fortune telling, refreshments, and prizes. The next day there's a scavenger hunt. And on the final day, there is a hard times dance. Do you know what a hard times dance is? I do not. No? Okay. I had to look this up because I was like, what does that mean? Um, so hard times dances were started actually back in the 1800s. Um, okay. So this is not not specific to like to the Jewish community, but um, 
like they were started during like actual difficult times. And the idea was that instead of like dressing up and buying a new kind of dress or suit, people would just wear like old or simple clothes and you'd bring your own food, like kind of like a picnic or whatever. And people would donate the money that they saved that they would otherwise have spent on like a lavish party to like whatever, whatever cause was relevant at the time. But the fun thing about this is that over time, people begin treating them more like costume parties. Yeah, I can see that. So, like, instead of showing up just, like, in your old dress that you already had, people show up in, like, flower sacks or, like, old curtains. Nice. Um, like the old like, Carol Burnett, like, gone with the wind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a, a barrel with, like, suspenders. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, men will show up in, like, working clothes, right? Like, overalls or, yeah. like, sometimes even, like, dressed, like, in, like, you know, quote, hobo clothes, right? I'm assuming some turn up in drag at some point also. I mean, maybe. Just due to how like, old costume parties always went. Probably. I think they become almost more like, I mean, maybe a little problematic in that they become sort of like a pantomime of poverty, but like. <laughs> yeah. They do also sound a little bit fun just to like show up somewhere in a flower sack. And whatever like um, weird costume you can assemble out of stuff at home. Yes. Um, yeah. So I actually don't know if this one was a like old style, just like don't buy a new dress type hard time yeah. dance or or if you were expected to show up in a barrel with suspenders to this. <laughs> um, it's always funny when you're reading a historical source and you're like, I have no idea what this means. Um, and then you go and try I, and like figure something out. <laughs> yeah, so I managed to figure out that, but there was also a line after that, which said, it will be Alamond left a grand chain and swing your partner, which I can only assume are types of dances, but like... Swing Too much partner. time has passed. Sounds swing like your a, partner. That sounds I like swing make, dancing. Yeah. How about, okay, and Allemand is the French word for German. So some kind of German style dancing. Left? I don't know. Uh, it is a Renaissance and Baroque dance. Ah, okay. A grand chain also. I'm looking it up, but I'm going to guess conga line. Probably. And I, I feel like left dancing you will not be able to find. <laughs> uh, oh, no, it's like a Scottish dance. Okay. Oh, fun. That's a that's a fun, like, variety of dancing. Okay. So, looking up left dance, I got how to do the Cupid shuffle. I don't think that's what they're I talking don't about. Think, I don't think they were doing the Cupid shuffle. <laughs> the cha-cha slide. Oh, could be. Could be the cha-cha slide. Okay. Um, why I left Dance Moms. <laughs> I think we're veering off. I think, I, yeah. I, I think we've gotten past the end of the relevant Google results here. But yeah, those are just dances. Yeah, they're dances of various kinds. Um, yeah, and then in 1954, um, Molly Picken, who's the darling of the Yiddish stage, is how she's described, oh. um, flies to Winnipeg from New York for a charity Hanukkah event. Um, so she was well known in Yiddish theater and film before moving into like English theater and film. Um, and where I know her from is that Molly was the, um, she was Yenta, the matchmaker in Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so she comes to uh, comes to Winnipeg to like do a performance at a at a Hanukkah party. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. Um. Oh, I don't know if you remember last year. I managed to put together some like weird recipes. 
Yeah. I found I found an excellent mid-century um, Hanukkah recipe here. Okay, so this is for a 1958 menorah fruit salad. <laughs> okay, okay, so guess what our first recipe for our fruit salad is? Oh man, it's gotta well, it's gotta be like Jello, right? Not, I mean, not Jello, but I feel like in the same vein of things, I maybe wouldn't think to immediately put in a fruit salad. It is three quarters of a pound of cream cheese. Okay. It's one of okay. those salads, I see. Yeah. <laughs> so we spread our three quarters of a pound of cream cheese on a large oval platter. Okay. And then we take a can of pineapple spears. Okay. And we arrange those to look like a menorah. Okay. And then we take canned cherries. Are those and, like the flames? Yeah, we put those as the flames. And then um, walnut halves are arranged to frame the whole thing. Oh, that's cute. So it's actually cute, but I do, it is very also mid-century. We like loved our canned pineapples and cherries in the 50s. So I don't think I'd call that a salad, but that would be like a good dip, right? Yeah, I feel like you could eat that with like, I well, I don't know, pretzels? I don't... Yeah, or like, I don't know, other fruits. Or like other fruits, yeah, you could put some strawberries next to that. There you go. It does, it does sound cute. I wouldn't call it a salad, on account of it not being mixed together. I feel like a salad honestly, has to be mixed, right? Honestly, even the reference to fruit is a little... They're in a, <laughs> they're in a gray area here. I'm like, I don't know that two fruits is enough. I did find a recipe in the Tribune for a menorah-shaped, like, sugar cookie. Oh, that's fun. Which just seems like a lot of, like, work, because there was no mold, right? You had to sort of, you like, manualate. Right, and then it'll, like, rise in the oven and get all like it'll be a fat menorah after that yep interesting um yeah this is okay this isn't so much a, a party but just kind of going through the stuff I found chronologically I found this interesting article like an opinion piece from 1961 um about the issue of Christmas in schools oh. this is kind of relevant to like what you were saying earlier right about like singing like the dreidel song in school yeah. um so a national survey found that 96% of Jewish kids had um, had had to participate in Christmas activities at school. Um, 47% had participated in Hanukkah activities as well, which I was actually like, that's, that's actually higher than I would have yeah. expected in 1961. Um, but most of the Jewish people surveyed in this, um, yeah, asked in this survey actually opposed both of those, like, we're essentially oh. saying, like, we don't necessarily want, like, religious celebrations in school, right? Okay, yeah, so that makes sense. most of the people surveyed didn't mind the kind of secular elements of Christmas. So, like, carols like Jingle Bells and Deck the Halls, but had issues with kids having, being forced to do things like nativity plays. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it also noted that one out of five Jewish, Jewish youths uh, were called upon this is a quote by a teacher or student to explain why Jews do not celebrate Christmas. Oh, that's not cool. No. So I thought this was really interesting because it's coming up in 1961. And I remember when I was a kid, like we fully did a Christmas concert. Yep. Like we had, you know, we had a nativity and everything. I don't think my school did nativity plays. That's really interesting because I would have figured that you growing up in, um, in like a small town would would yeah. have more of that 
I don't remember ever doing a nativity play in school. We mostly, we like sang Rudolph and like changed the words around to annoy the teacher. Oh yeah, of course. Always did that. And then we just did like the nativity play at our churches. Oh yeah. No, I think, um, I want to say that throughout the time that I was in elementary school, that so it would have been like late 90s to early 2000s, it sort of transitioned a little more away from the like nativity stuff to like, you know, just Santa stuff. Yeah. But it was still like a Christmas concert. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like weird for weird for me too. So I, I definitely right, get yeah, where yeah. people are coming from. Yeah, like I was I was also not not raised Christian, so always felt very strange to be like doing a play about Jesus. Is there like a Buddhist winter holiday? Not that we celebrated. Okay. I don't I don't know. There might be. My family is often like, like a holiday kind of around yeah. the winter solstice, right? No, I mean my family mostly celebrated the like kind of typical Christian holidays but just in a secular way like we did Christmas but just we did Santa and not Jesus yeah. same with Easter um I think just for like convenience sake <laughs> which makes yeah yeah um yeah anyway back to the sort of party stuff so um in 1961 the same year the Beth Israel Sisterhood holds its an- annual Hanukkah dinner and awards prizes to winners of a home decorating contest. And the prizes for this are insane. Are they? So the top prize is a car. What? For the best decorated home. Inside or outside? Um, It didn't say. Interesting. But the winner, though, this is, I, I don't know how this happened. The winner was a guy from Toronto. So I'm like, did he bring a photo? How did he win this contest? He sent, like, pictures of his super cool house. I guess. I don't know. And then he won like, a car? Someone else's house. Yeah, so he won a car. And then... Um, did he Winnipeg... drive it back to Toronto? <laughs> I don't know. Good question. I didn't even think of that. And then a Winnipeg man wins the draw for a trip to two to Las Vegas. What? Like, these are, these prizes are nuts. Those are good prizes. I would like to be invited to a party like this. <laughs> <laughs> right? So also, we'd have to decorate our apartments. I've decorated. Yeah, but like, would you win a I prize? Don't... No, probably not. I would also have to decorate, presumably for Hanukkah, and not for Christmas. Yeah. Which would require some rejigging. Oh, so you might have to like, do some of your dishes. <laughs> I think they take that into account. They're like, well, the decorations are great. It looks like you haven't cleaned up in a bit. Of dishes, and you clearly <laughs> haven't swept in months. <laughs> There's just cat hair everywhere. Yeah. Oh, no, I have to sweep the stairs. Okay. I, I do, too. Yeah. Um, there's also a Hanukkah ball at Shari Zedek, which is, um, I think, our oldest synagogue. Sure is. That's one that's founded in 1880. Right, yeah. So um, they feature in a lot of these uh, parties and balls and such. Um, there's a really wonderful kind of description of what all the women are wearing, or oh, I don't know, not, not all of the women, but like six of them. So one of them has chosen a slim black crepe sheath, bodice in, um, entirely embroidered in black sequins. Another is wearing a cover up evening shirtwaist of imported black lace with long cuffed sleeves, a little collar and a high wide belt of black satin. Ooh. So, I won't read all of them, but I might I might post one of these photos. Um, oh, there's pictures with them Instagram too? Instagram as well. Oh yeah, there's photos of them. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, they look lovely. 
Um, so for this fall, proceeds were to be used um, to purchase Braille writers. Oh, cool. So yeah, so several um, members of the, there's a kind of like, I guess like women's group within the synagogue, right? Mm -hmm. um, so several members had been learning Braille over the previous months in order to be able to transcribe books for the Canadian National Institute of the, of the Blind. Oh. Yeah, but I guess you need like a particular typewriter to be able to right, do that, yeah. right? So they were raising money to, uh, to get those. Um, yeah, and the party included um, hand, um, tables decorated with handmade candles and leaf arrangements and a dance team performing the Roomba, Tango, and the Cha-Cha. Nice. Yeah, love the Cha-Cha. Do you? <laughs> I don't know. I love it conceptually. <laughs> I don't know that I know how to do the Cha-Cha. No, it just seemed like you'd like had experience with the Cha-Cha. Like, ah, my favorite dance move. I, Alex Judge, who love dancing. There's that song, Sabrina. Everybody loves to cha-cha-cha. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, there's another party that year where there's an original menorah contest, which I think sounds really cute as well. Do they describe the menorahs? No. Ugh. I know. I'm like, I need in-depth descriptions of all of your parties, please. And everything people brought and what they wore. Yes. <laughs> we need more gossip magazines. I know. This is why I love the like old Tribune where they're like, we're going to describe what every person wore to this party. <laughs> yep, in detail. Because we yeah. have no other news today. Yeah. Um, in 1967, as part of the celebrations that year, the Shari Zadek Synagogue holds a cabaret dinner dance, which I also oh. have photos from. So we'll post those for sure. Um, but also before um, those celebrations are kind of kind of set off, um, Mayor Stephen Juba lights a torch of freedom, which Jewish relay runners carried from City Hall to the synagogue to light candles and mark the beginning of Hanukkah. Oh, that's cool. Is this around the time yeah. of the Pan Am Games? Is that why they're getting into relay all of a sudden? I don't know. What I, year is I, this? 1967. Pan Am Games year. Pan Am Games. Ah, interesting. That's why there's a relay runner. I was wondering. I didn't make the connection. That makes a ton of sense. Right off the top of my head. <laughs> um, and they said that the torch was to symbolize appreciation of the civil and religious liberties in Canada and to demonstrate sympathy for people in other parts of the world who do not enjoy such liberties. That's so, nice. yeah. And I think an important thing to note here is that Hanukkah is like this celebration of lights, but it's also like a commemoration, right, of this, mm -hmm. like, as Belle was telling us, right, of this, like, historic um, rebellion and, like, tenacity against um, tyranny. Mm -hmm. So on that note, actually, um, in 1970, the final day of Hanukkah is used to stage a protest at City Hall. Oh. Yeah, so... What the protest is about, um, and I won't go too deep into this because it's kind of a whole like international incident, but nine Jews in the Soviet Union had been arrested for hijacking an airplane in an attempt to flee the Soviet Union for Israel. Oh. So what had happened, I, I think like hijacking is an interesting use to, word to use here because what they had actually done is they had, it was like a small plane and they had booked all of the seats on it. Oh, so what they planned to do was essentially like commandeer it like they were going to stop at like an intermediary point, like kick off the pilot and co-pilot. Yeah. And then just take the plane with their whole group to Israel. OK, so they weren't going to take anyone with them, essentially. I don't know if that makes a difference, but. 
Um, it feels more like stealing a car. Yes, right. In right. Terms of like the people totally. scale at least. There, there are no hostages or kidnappings involved here. Yeah. Um, they were just trying to leave. Um, in any case, unfortunately, they were caught, and two, um, two Jewish men had been sentenced to death after this trial, which had oh, been please. kind of held in secret. And so, this is what the protest is about. Um, and so, actually, um, obviously, protests not just in Winnipeg, but you know, in the Jewish community throughout the world, mm-hmm. throughout the diaspora, um, ultimately does result in the Soviet Union commuting their death sentences oh, to wow. 15 years in prison. And I believe they serve less than that. I think 1979, one of them emigrates, and I'm not sure about the other one. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, back to it. <laughs> My next story is way lighter, but I should have had a segue in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, here we are. The next year, there's a Hanukkah party with a potato grating contest. That sounds so fun. Right? It's like a corn and apple. There's corn shucking as a contest. Is there? Yeah. That's so fun. Last time I was at corn and apple, I watched this one old lady go up and just like decimate everyone else who was doing it. Really? Like she's just an incredible corn shucker? Yeah. She was so good at it. Yeah. I mean, I guess probably I imagine at this, there was like one old lady who was an amazing at potato grating probably. One grandma who's made a lot of latkes and was just really going to town. Uh, yeah. It, although that does also sound a little dangerous now that I think about it. <laughs> oh, there's blood all over the potatoes. <laughs> Listen, it adds flavor. Uh, <laughs> um, and then the last one um, that I've got here is 1975. Um, this announcement running in the post reads Hanukkah Party Casino. Um, Saturday, November 29th is the first day of Hanukkah. At precisely 8.30 p.m. on that day, the castle at 604 Stradbrook transforms into a wild, rip-roaring casino a la Monte Carlo. And says, make sure you have lots of silver and lots of energy because there's going to be dancing, too. That's fun. Yeah. Um, I looked it up that that home, unfortunately, was demolished just like a few years ago. 604 Stradbrook. Yeah. It was just like a big old house. And it could have been turned into a casino again. I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's our little tour through uh, historic Winnipeg Hanukkah. Yeah, thanks for taking us on that, Alex. It was fun, and I want to watch the potato shredding contest. I know. (laughs) I know a lot of those sounded really wonderful and fun. Um, We hope that all of you enjoy uh, celebrating Hanukkah or Christmas or whatever you celebrate or if nothing at all then the solstice is coming and then days will be less short slowly it's gonna get warmer eventually yeah (laughs) you have that to look forward to the solstice is kind of like Wednesday right it's like you're like it's the middle of the week I can get through past this I just have to chug through the Thursday and Friday of the month I guess the January and February January is kind of a Thursday of a month I feel like yeah. <laughs> January and February are both a little bit like a Thursday. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, have a safe and happy holidays, everyone. Uh, if you can, of course, spare some time or some money to do- uh, like volunteer or donate with any of Winnipeg's charities, please do so. Winnipeg Harvest and um, the Main Street Project would always use the help. That would be wonderful. And moving on to some personal news. This is the last you're going to hear from us for a little bit. Yeah, um, unless you're a patron. Um, We'll get to that in a second. We'll get to that in a bit. Um, Uh, But yeah, we've got uh, a big project coming up. 
We do. So um, some of you might be aware that 2023 is Winnipeg's 150th birthday or anniversary or whatever you want to call it. And we thought it would be fun to do a slightly more ambitious project than we've done in the past. Yeah. So it's going to be 15 episodes covering the span of over 150 years with like all kinds of different Winnipeggers involved. But it's going to take uh, some work. So we are yep. going to be taking January to March off to make sure that we have the time to sit down and research and get everything done. And then when we will be back, you'll be getting way more episodes than you normally do in a normal yeah. year for us. Yeah, so we're going to be releasing um, 15 episodes all leading up to um, yeah Winnipeg's 150th birthday. It's like November 9th, I think. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> We're but really yeah, excited. this is a, a really exciting, uh, sorry, okay, I might need to cut We're out a little bit of We're nailing this pitch. Oh my god. <laughs> no, we've uh, been working on it for a while, we're really excited to share it with you, and we think it should be really fun and interesting, and hopefully you'll learn some new things about um, our city and the people in it. Yeah, so um, it's really exciting for us. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of our, you know, favorite people in Winnipeg history. A.K.A. Um, Cornish. Francis E. Cornish. Yeah, Cornish is finally getting his day. <laughs> <laughs> Just what he always deserved. Yeah. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll be sharing more about that going forward as well. So keep an eye on the Facebook, on the Instagram. Um, the Facebook and the Instagram? <laughs> yeah. Our Facebook, our Instagram. On the Facebooks. <laughs> So yeah, if you want to follow us for updates, we are on Facebook and Instagram at One Great History and on Twitter for however long that is there for at One Number One Great History. If you um, are going to miss our voices over the course of the next couple of months, we are still on Patreon and we still be putting out Patreon episodes. Yeah. So you can stay tuned. You can hear our thoughts on uh, My Winnipeg or watch us taste test a uh, $19.37 fruitcake. Mm-hmm. And whatever other fun stuff we have planned for the coming months. Also, you'll get some uh, early sneak peeks into the 150 project as we shuck along at that. Yeah. I think that's everything we have to pitch. Um, happy holidays, and we'll see you in March of 2023. <laughs>